You're in tune to the Fusebox Radio Broadcast. Uh, turn the music up inside my session. These folks gotta hear my message. Bringing balanced black radio to the masses. Socialistic and eccentric Bodies healthy, mind is wealthy Plus they flow that will propel me To be a native, get creative Original and designative Listen to the line that's playing Listen hard to what Q's saying Politicians are magicians Make your vote, they hope they're wishing Ambiguous words, senseless verbs They all amount to crap that's heard Violent hip-hop, money flip-flops Promoters won't book, but it still rocks I'm a Zulu, yes a true blue Red alert is with the poo-poo Ozone layer, loses flavor Here's the edge that you will savor Banana, I ain't a primate, ain't no soul glow, just an afro. The head is bred to let the thoughts grow. Quest together to lands of never. Sleep in snow and storms can't sever. Tribe is growing, never knowing. For this time, six next me showing. Dialogues have been accepted, negatives have been rejected. Blasting music, Negro music is here for all, so you must choose it. Horny's fondle, watch it throttle. Three, six, five, straight out the bottle. Bussing caps, finger snaps. I prefer the second for ghetto traps. Wife Jerobi, Ali told me, get the force like Juan Kenobi. Force is teaching, beats are screeching. Poly plateaus, we aim for reaching. Tribalization, freaks the nation. A mass of peers in celebration. Hope's been real high since the knee high. Days of youth, feeling good and real spry. Avid combos, hear those bongos? Boom, kakaboom, that's how they go. We ain't nomads, but we real glad. Hip hop slams through the 90s, no fat. As a rhythm, have been given. Hurry up, become we breaking out. Out. The rhythmic instinction to be able to travel beyond existing forces of life. Basically, that's tribal. And if you want to get the rhythm, then you have to join a tribe. Word. Peace.
right, everybody. One, two, one, two. What's going on? You're now in tune to another session of the syndicated worldwide Fusebox radio broadcast with DJ Fusion and Asar Raw Blackhawk. We're in our big bonus content round of listening goodies and stuff for everybody on a whole lot of topics and stuff. We've been blading through a lot of interviews with folks representing all parts of the community, whether it's artistic, political, and everything in between. And as some of our really long-term listeners have known, especially those who've been hanging with us since 1998 on your FM dial internet radio station, FM station in the community, or uh, via podcast, y'all know during our various election cycles, we try to get on folks who give a different perspective about what's going on within our political community. And while we already had planned to do this for 2016, as I'm sure anybody who has eyes or ears knows, our U.S. presidential election cycle is completely shot to hell. It is a sideshow beyond the worst of sideshows. And both myself and the Blackhawks know that a lot of people right now, whether it's in our particular age range, the 30s and 40s on down, are just feeling completely disenfranchised with what looks like a selection between, you know, do you want garbage or do you want garbage on a plate in regards to our current presidential election cycle, but it's just on a pretty plate. And we sat back and looked at things and we're like, let's go on ahead and reach out to a lot of the third party candidates that we don't pretty much get to ever get a chance to hear from and to hear from their own words, like what their platforms go on and represent. Because besides the presidential election, elections go on from local levels on up and I'm a personal believer that the local power, whether it's your feet underground or via the ballot, is ultimately the stuff that gets up top. And when I was looking at various parties and things, I checked out the Workers World Party and we have the pleasure of being able to interview the presidential candidate for the Workers World Party, which is Miss Monica Moorhead. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. No problem, but thank you for taking out your time to be with us. Now, I sat down and I go through all of these sites and everything, and I know with our mainstream media climate, and all honesty, there are people who barely know what a Democrat or a Republican is, much less what a socialist is. People act like a socialist is like a devil with horns running around getting ready to poke you and take away all your money. Mm-hmm. and all of that type of stuff and not to be on the craft or biased in there's people with myself being a black american if i try to bring up other stuff they're just they're like socialism sounds like white people shit mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. how is that mm-hmm. going to apply to right. me mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, right. Right. my life and all of that and they'll see a fellow like um senator sanders who says they're a democratic socialist and i just think there's a lot of confusion in regards to what exactly is a socialist, and why should people look at that as a particular political philosophy? Oh, is this a question for me? Oh, yes. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. Well, that's a very, very good, very good question. Um, And um, I have to say, though, in terms of the uh, Bernie Sanders uh, running as a democratic socialist, that on the one hand, we have to um, give him credit for even saying that he is a democratic socialist because, as you were saying, you know, there's such a stigma 
there's an anti-communist stigma regarding, you know, what a socialist is, what socialism is. And, um, and so, uh, at least what, uh, Senator Sanders has done is to sort of introduce it in a broader sense, in a more popular sense, even though, uh, within my party, Workers World Party, we don't agree on what socialism or what a socialist, um, should be. Um, I am a socialist. I've been a socialist for over 40 years, ever since I joined Workers World Party in 1975. And I can tell you that, um, what socialism means is, first of all, it's an economic system as opposed to the capitalist system, which is all about, you know, making profits for, you know, a small billionaire class. Uh, of which Donald Trump uh, belongs to, along with others like, you know, uh, the the, um, the Walton family, which owns Walmart, you know, billionaires and, and so forth, who exploit and super exploit the labor of working people. Mm-hmm. So what socialism is, is the complete opposite of that. It is an economic system that puts the workers in charge of running society. It's nothing more uncomplicated than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of having bosses exploiting your labor, the, it's the workers as a, as a class, as a united class, that provide the need, human needs for everybody because it's workers that produce everything in society that we need or, or produce all the services that we need um, to become full human beings. And, and a society where you don't have homelessness or you don't have hospitals closing down or you don't have uh, schools closing their doors and uh, uh, going from closed schools to prison pipeline um, where everybody has a right to a job or, or uh, an, a livable income. These are the type of things that a socialist society uh, provides based on the level, uh, skill, the, the skill level of workers in society. It's as simple, simple as that. The way that Bernie Sanders, how he feels about what he views as democratic socialism is sort of reforming capitalism, reforming, trying to make it a more, you know, gentler, kinder, uh, system whereby, you know, you try to regulate what Wall Street is doing. In terms of making profits, um, uh, at, at, at the expense of human beings, you know, cutting back on those profits, making them more, um, accountable to the people. And that's not how capitalism works. It has its own rules of governing. Um, and it's not that the capitalists rule the system, it's the system that rules them. They are, um, they are uh, compelled to make more and more profits because it's a system that has to expand or die. So this is, you know, this is how we view uh, socialism. And you can't have socialism without getting rid of capitalism. And so that's one of our platforms that we feel that uh, in order to free up human beings, to free them up from being exploited to, from, from having their labor exploited, um, having their wages, um, stolen 
on a daily basis by these billionaire, you know, um, uh, bosses and the corporations and the banks that you have to have a revolutionary transformation of society. That may scare some people, but, you know, it's it's something that's happened throughout human society, you know, where you have different social systems that take over other social systems in order to um, uh, advance hum- humanity. And this is what this is how we view revolutionary socialism as opposed to democratic socialism. If that helps. No, that helps out a lot. That was a great summary, actually. Um, one of the questions I wanted to get into, because I always believe that politics is personal. You briefly touched base on you became a socialist about 40 years ago. What made you make that transition? Okay, well, um, I'm glad you you raised that question because you have to start from the beginning uh, of 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 uh, how you have how you evolve as a human being because you know I'm African American. I was born under segregation in Alabama in 1952, and um, and so for much of my young life, that was my um, that was my existence, living under you know segregation, um, Jim Crow, and so forth. My parents. Uh, while they were professors at Alabama State University um, back in the early 50s, they went to Dr. King's church in Montgomery, Alabama. They were a part of the Montgomery, the historic Montgomery bus boycott mm-hmm. uh, because they were you know, just a handful of black people in Montgomery that happened to have cars. And so when the bus boycott happened, uh, to force the integration of the buses started by Rosa Parks and others, they volunteered to drive black people to and from their jobs, mainly as the, you know, domestic, uh, workers working in white people's, you know, kitchens and so forth. So that was sort of, um, the roots of, of resistance in my family. And then when I, um, uh, became a teacher, in Virginia, I was a um, kindergarten teacher, uh, and even before then, I went to Hampton Institute, which is now Hampton University. Okay. That's where I really became political. I was part of a, um, a black a radical group at Hampton. I met Workers' World Party, um, and especially one of its um, um, mass organizations, the Prisoner Solidarity Committee, because I was interested in the plight of of black prisoners at that time. Um, I was interested in what the Black Panther Party was doing um, and other, you know, revolutionary groups like that at the time. Um, so I, I was lucky to live in this period of sort of revolutionary upheaval, both in the United States and worldwide, in Africa and Asia and Latin America, where there were a lot of national liberation movements uh, taking place and struggles. And so um, when I met Workers World through the Prisoner Solidarity Committee, um, they introduced this concept of how the prisons are nothing more than concentration camps for the poor. And then the Attica Rebellion, Prison Rebellion, happened in 1971. And that was just, that really just um, uh, raised my political consciousness about 
you know, uh, what the, what the prisons are all about and what, you know, uh, repression is all about. And, and so I, I look more into, you know, um, how this system works, that it's not just what was happening to me as an individual, but what was happening to black people as a whole and why was there so much, you know, racism and repression? Where did it really come from? And I learned through the party that it came from, you know, the capitalist system uh, itself and that that was the root cause. Because I, you know, growing up in the South, I thought that all white people were racist. Mm. That that was my that was my existence because everybody I met, you know, in the South had this, you know, uh, racist mentality. Um, you know, I saw my mother being pulled out of an all white bathroom when I was 12 years old. Um, I mean, these are things that still stick with you, even though I'm now I'm 63 years old and I, it still, you know, haunts me to this day to see that, ha- that, 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 that happened. Couldn't stay in, you know, hotels. My family had to drive all night because, you know, uh, we weren't able to, to stop and had to relieve ourselves, you know, on the highway, those type of things. But I learned that. It, it just wasn't happening to me that that black people were an oppressed nation, just like, you know, indigenous people are oppressed as a nation. Mm-hmm. Latino people are oppressed as a nation and that we're all part of a worldwide um, struggle because capitalism is a worldwide system. And so that's that's how it became. That's how I, I started being becoming more interested in what what the alternatives were to capitalism, which is, you know, um, what we're fighting for today is a socialist society, just like Cuba has. I've been to Cuba four times. Okay. And I've seen for myself, despite all the terrible propaganda and, and so forth, you know, they talk about Cuba, you know, being, you know, um, uh, a violator of human rights and all this other stuff. And I think to myself, have people really been to Cuba? Have they seen for themselves how the, the Cuban people, uh, even though it's, it's a, it's a poor country in terms of resources, um, but if whatever resources they have, they have, they have pooled them together collectively to make sure that people have free health care, that they have free education. No one goes homeless. Uh, no, no one goes hungry. In Cuba, the workers run society the way it should be run to meet human needs. This I have seen for myself, you know, um, in Cuba. Not to say it's a perfect society because nothing, no, there's no perfect society. Mm-hmm. But what what they have done to transform that society from become, which was once a colonial possession of Spain and then the U.S. for 500 years. And what they have been able to do for the last 57 years is just, it's astonishing. And I think uh, people need to study Cuba more, go to Cuba if you can, to see that it, it, it can't become a reality. It is a reality there, and it can't become a reality right here in the U.S., which the richest country in the world. And I think to myself, wow, if we had this type of society, uh, where, you know, where people's human needs are, are met. I mean, my goodness, we already have all of these, ha- all the housing, we have the hospitals, you know, we have everything right here. It just needs to be reopened mm-hmm. <laughs> and run 
by the people and used by the people instead of for profit. Alrighty, and that segues right into, in a very good way, in terms of getting a little bit into what is the um, Workers World Party um, program and platform. Like somebody was like, "I this sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, Workers World Party sounds awesome. That I should, you know, go independent or you know register directly with the Workers World Party and vote for it." Everybody's, you know, want to know like, what are some of the things that y'all represent? And I'm looking. Um, at the program, there's definitely some things you already touched base on, but there's a few things I definitely want to like um, ask a little bit about. And um, one of which I find interesting that people bob and weave in our mainstream uh, political discourse is the action of reparations mm-hmm. and right. um, Black Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad you raised that because that is the first point of our program, of our ten point program. And we felt, let me just say that we felt that it would, we wanted to make that the first point, because, mainly because of the tremendous heroic struggle that's going on today, led by the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel that that's, that's, it is the most, um, dynamic, visible movement that's been going on for the last four years, putting aside what the immigrant rights movement has been able to do too, um, uh, which is very, very dynamic uh, in terms of coming out, mobilizing its deportations and rates and so forth. But it's the Black Lives Matter movement that has been, you know, in, in the forefront of shutting down, shutting down, you know, highways and streets and, um, Everything, you know, that represents um, uh, the power structure in this country to say no to police terror um, and, and to stop mass incarceration because mass incarceration because this, these two things go hand in hand. And so we, we thought that it would be very important to, to talk about reparations um, uh, for black people because, you know, we're still living um under the legacy of slavery in this mm-hmm. country 400 years of slavery and even though the civil war um got rid of slavery as a system um you know black people have not been um uh repaired <laughs> or repaid uh as once was promised you know the 40 acres and a mule that 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 never happened uh, in the United States because, um, you know, after, after slavery. And then you had reconstruction for 10 years, um, which was supposed to bring full equality for those who were once enslaved. And that was smashed, um, you know, by the Klan and the white citizens councils. And then you, then, then after that followed Jim Crow, which in 1898, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld Jim Crow laws throughout the country, not just in the South, but in the North. You had the whole era of lynchings. Um, I mean, the civil rights movement, the black liberation movement, all very important, um, uh, you know, formations and uh, segments of our struggle, but never full equality going all the way back to the issue of, of slavery. And in terms of unpaid labor, uh, those who um, 
you know, of our ancestors put in, you know, monetary terms today, you're talking about trillions of dollars mm-hmm. of unpaid labor. And so back in 2000, you know, there was a tremendous movement for reparations led by a number of black organizations in this country. Uh, they tried to bring in a lawsuit in about three courts, um, especially against those who, who profited off the slave trade. Um, and, you know, this was sort of brought to a halt after, especially after 9-11 happened. Uh, one, there was a tremendous uh, conference in Durban, South Africa, that took place uh, for reparations. But, you know, after 9-11, that everything sort of, you know, that sort of fell by the wayside. But it's still very much a, uh, a living struggle. And uh, we feel that this is a this is still a just struggle. Both Dr. King called for reparations. Malcolm X called for reparations, you know, in the 1960s. Um, and just to even acknowledge the legacy of slavery and uh, the white supremacy that still exists in this country. Of course, now it's it's embodied in terms of uh, Donald Trump and his campaign. Uh, he is the embodiment of white supremacy uh, today through his horrific rallies and black people being attacked and so forth. Brave black people, you know, mm-hmm. calling for, you know, say, you know, chanting Black Lives Matter and being attacked and verbally racist assaults and physical assaults and so forth. So anyway, this is why we felt it would be very important to... Um, uh, to call for reparations, um, and it doesn't even just have to be monetary, you know, um, uh, reparations. It could be in the form of uh, health care and education, because in this society, in huge disproportionate numbers, uh, black people suffer from the worst, you know, edu- education, miseducation, the lack of health care, um, you know, uh, all these diseases that that happened because of of um horrific living conditions and so forth and this is something that happens generationally it's not just one generation but it has you know um uh it's, it has followed every generation up until today so that's why we feel it's important to demand and um defend the right to to rep- for reparations based on the institutionalized racism that still exists today all right. And speaking of racism and prejudice at large, there was another part of the platform I wanted to touch base on, especially with the unfortunate incidents that have happened in Brussels in the past day or two. And that's something in regards to ending Islamophobia and stopping deportations and raids. Like I don't like the term illegal. I think it's a gross term. Um, it's very for, gross. For um, those who are undocumented as um, U.S. citizens. And whatnot. Can we touch base briefly on that? Because I see there's an interesting thing here talking about um, open borders mm-hmm. for regular people, but uh, closed borders for those who are profiteers or warmonger types. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we feel, we, I totally agree. We really agree that no human being is illegal. Uh, what's really illegal is this, this system that, set, that, that, has set, that has set up um, artificial borders. Not just now, but, you know, going way, way back, uh, in, in the late 1800s when imperialism 
which is nothing more than worldwide capitalism, was developing as a system where you had, you know, European powers uh, meeting to 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 see who was going to take over this part of Africa or this part of Latin America or this part of Asia, carving up you know, whole continents like they were a piece of cake or a piece of pie because of the rich resources and turn in and the fact that they could use military force uh to enslave the people of those countries which today has amounted to just just tremendous poverty and underdevelopment so so these borders are legal to begin with look look right here in the united states you know uh donald trump has talked about building a, a wall between this country and mexico well you know three-fourths of south of southwest should be it's mexican <laughs> the u.s stole it you know during the mexican-american war so what you know what borders is he talking about you know part mm-hmm. california and arizona and um new mexico i mean they don't call it for new mexico for nothing <laughs> uh wyoming and texas oh my goodness texas that really is mexico mm-hmm. so um so yeah we we feel this you know, um, we call for the unity and solidarity of all the world's people because Islamophobia is, um, you know, it's a diversion away from who the real culprits are in terms of, you know, so-called, you know, the terrorists and so forth. If it wasn't for the U.S. and imperialism and for these wars, ISIS would never exist. ISIS came out of the Iraq war. That's, yes. It came out of the Iraq war. And it's now it has expanded to Syria and these other parts of the world. Now, you know, millions of people are being, have, have been forced to leave their countries uh, because of this war. Um, uh, so-called Syrian army, which is being armed by the U.S. and, and NATO. What happened to Libya? They destroyed mm-hmm. Libya, the U.S. and NATO. United, and this includes uh, Hillary Clinton, <laughs> you know, who supported who supported uh, this war against Libya. Um, and so, anyway, the the issue of Islamophobia is re- not only reinforcing racism against people um, of of the Middle East and all you know other Arab peoples, but also it's a diversion away from the fact that the U.S wants to reconquer and its allies, you know, in NATO, they want to reconquer the world because of the oil and because of the resources uh, that they want to continue to uh, profit off of. So this is why it's important for us to uh, fight against this, uh, to expose it for what it is, and that we we have to show solidarity with those who are, you know, um, being victimized you know, by these, um, by these policies, these racist policies. All right. That's, you're covering so many of these topics and these oh, questions, good. which is very, very awesome. Uh-huh. Um, one more thing I want to touch base on a little in depth and some things we talked about earlier kind of crossed into um, other parts of the platform, which people can check out um, on the um, Workers World Party's website, which I'll be giving everybody in a bit. Thank um, you. Pardon me. Um, the treatment of women mm-hmm. in society, 
Now, I think in America at large, this is my personal opinion, a lot of people are trying to turn back the clock Mm -hmm. in terms of treatment of people who aren't either rich or of um, European descent, usually a mix of both Mm -hmm. and what have you. And it has been deplorable seeing things on various local and state levels with people wanting to take away various um, reproductive rights from women. Mm-hmm. Much less on the federal level, where we still don't have equal pay. Mm-hmm. Right. Like as a law, as an amendment, or anything. Like people are all seem to always be fighting against this. Now, with the Workers World Party, I'm pretty sure y'all want to change that. On top of for those folks who are um, LGBTQ, mm-hmm. and right. how um they are um treated as well. Right. Absolutely. Well, let me just. If, if if I can, I'll just read a little portion of our platform huh. on this. It's um, uh, we say here: women need full liberation in all facets of society, equal pay for comparable work, reproductive justice, um, which means, you know, it's not just the right to have an abor- abortion. That's only one part of what we talk. What we mean by reproductive justice. Uh, we we when we talk about reproductive justice, we mean that women have the right to choose whether to have uh, uh, children or not, and and if they choose to have children, they should be uh, 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 allowed to be healthy children. In other words, have the right to to have healthy children, which means the right to food to the best medical care, to the best education, and so forth. Because, you know, um, a lot of women have children, and, and, you know, they're born into poor families and so forth. And, and, and then the women are blamed, you know, for, you know, um, the conditions that their children are born under. And we feel this is a societal issue. This is not just a woman's issue, individual woman's issue. Uh, a woman is ju- uh, society is judged by how women are treated in it, and so we feel that um, every issue is a woman's issue, and we feel that that's what re- really what reproductive justice means. Um, that we're for restoring all the welfare programs that the Clinton administration destroyed in 1996. Um, the, you know, the right to food stamps and, and so forth. Um, uh, we're for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer liberation now. We're for stopping the murders of trans women, which is a big part, especially black trans women, because that's a big part of the, um, uh, the, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, we demand equal pay for e- equivalent work. Um, let's see. Uh, we're for stopping abuse, rape, incest, and violence. Uh, we're for the safe houses for women who are, who are victims or who are, su- are subject to this type of violence. We're, we're for stopping the objectification and commodification of women, you know, by the media and by, you know, all of the, uh, cultural institutions, all to make profits, um, and to demean, and at the same time, they demean women. Um, so these are some of the, um, yeah, these are some of the issues because we, we really feel that, um, like I said, every issue is a woman's issue and a woman is not divided from its, its, from, you know, the communities 
uh, that they come from, uh, whether dealing with police violence and, and other issues. Uh, and actually, and the last thing is that women's oppression, along with LGBTQ oppression, it's the oldest oppression in class society. Uh, class society in terms of dividing into, you know, rich and poor and, and so forth. And um, that could not happen if women were subject to um, the patriarchy, the patriarchal um, uh, laws and views of men, um, uh, which goes back thousands and thousands of years. So this is why we really feel it's, it's important to have a clear stance about the role of, of women um, and, the, and calling for the full liberation of women uh, in society. And a lot of women of color, you know, um, are fighting sexism, but they always tie it into the national liberation of, of their race or their nationality which we feel is very, 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 very important for, especially for, for white women uh, to understand and to show solidarity and sensitivity because not all women are equal either. We may be all women, but we're not all equal in terms of, you know, nationality and also uh, gender or gender identity. That is definitely very true. So some mm-hmm. folks, that's the stage you want to, like, hit your head up against the wall, like, come on, guys. Right, <laughs> right. So that this platform has right. not been equal for a lot of a lot of folks, right? And um, what have you? And yeah, we've touched base on a pretty good amount of stuff here in this um brief conversation. I'm just trying to look over my notes to see if there was anything else I wanted to touch base on yes, briefly. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. One more thing, actually, because mm-hmm. it's a big. Sure. Um, issue I think for a lot of folks at large and um, how they look at things is in regards to universal health care. Mm-hmm. Now we're going through our various issues with people trying just to change the regular system from it being vastly privatized um, within the past year to two various degrees of success. Now people try to make it seem and I think a lot of it is due to propaganda that universal health care is an impossibility that there's no way that it could be done here properly in the United States. But there are countries that, with various degrees of um, success, have made it happen. And a lot of it has to be a country that had been more on the socialist um, tip and what have you. I am making the assumption that um, that is the same thing that um, Work with the World would be down for here in the United States as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we would definitely be for universal, you know, health care. I mean, it, right now, uh, under the Obama administration, there is the single, you know, payer health care, you know, um, uh, uh, program, which, of course, it's, you know, it's, it is a step forward, but it's not universal health care because the pharmaceutical corporations um, and the insurance companies they still, you know, they they still dominate the healthcare system in this country. I mean, um, so there may be more people who who have been able to afford the single payer healthcare, but a lot of people still don't have the healthcare that they need, and they're still subject to so many restrictions and 
and so forth with their health care plans and, you know, having to pay hundreds of dollars for their medications. A lot of people, you know, go to Canada, try to cross the border, you know, to get their medications um, or they go to, to Europe. Some people even go to Cuba, you know, to get health care uh, because it's it's totally free there. It's not based on your income or anything like that, where here it's still based on your income um, and access. Um, and ag- again, the whole issue of universal health care is, is tied to, well, you know, how many clinics have been shut down? How many hospitals have been shut down? They, they have not reopened, you know, under the Obama administration because they're all based on, they run as businesses. They're all based on making profit. So, um, so yes, we we feel that universal health care can only come about really um, through again a a, trans, a a total transformation of society, where the pharmaceutical corporations and the insurance corporations don't have anything to do with health care, but it's based on you know. Um, you know, uh, doc, you know, making sure there's doc, enough doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers and even, you know, neighborhood clinics. Like in Cuba, there are neighborhood clinics. People don't have to go to a hospital to get care. These clinics are based on, um, how many people are in a neighborhood? What are their needs? They, they take, uh, surveys to see what you know, uh, what the community is like, um, but, you know, what, what are people's concerns and it's all planned. That's the main thing. We need planned healthcare. And even in places in Europe and so forth, the healthcare system may be more affordable, but that's not based on, you know, socialist, um, healthcare. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just that in this, in this country, the United States, you know, it's it's like all the resources go to the military and, and so forth. And um, there's very little spent by the government on providing that type of health care that everybody needs. So. All right. And um, also in regards to um, health care, not just talking about, let's say, insurance and things like that. But when things go south or go wrong in terms of what we, I guess we would look at as a quote-unquote safety net. Like we had a situation in Flint, and they still trying to mm-hmm. have people pay for messed up water, or right. where would the balance of the fail-safe be in terms of stuff like that? Or let's say you lose a home or you get evicted, but you still need to have something in between because all of our parts of what people call our welfare state have been steadily eroding mm-hmm. um, in the past few years. Now, like... How um, does the Workers' World Party address um, stuff like that? Because I think that's definitely a part of health, too, beyond, like, if I have insurance, mm-hmm. I get sick, you know? All right. that type of stuff kind of ties in together. Right, right. Well, I mean, it, you know, this is all part, again, of sort of reorganizing society. If, if I'll give you this example, uh, another example, of when Katrina hit in 2005, Hurricane Katrina, and thousands and thousands of people were displaced, not just by the hurricane, but by, of course, the the the, um, the levees, you know, especially in the Ninth Ward, uh, because they they were just they they um, 
um, they were in such poor condition to begin with. And people, you know, unnecessarily died, um, you know, during that hurricane because of the breach of the levees. And so people were displaced. They were put in, um, of course, they were put in this, in, in the dome and, and so forth. And, um, there was no plan. There was no plan to, um, uh, you, you know, to, for emergency housing or anything like that for the people. Emergency food. It took hours for people to get on these buses and, and so forth to, to go to other cities. They still haven't returned home. But, I mean, the people were treated so shabbily, and they knew that this hurricane was going to hit. They had, there was all the indications that it was going to hit. But they didn't want to put them up in, you know, the hotels or anything like that. Those hotels were were certainly empty. They could have housed a lot of people. Prisoners drowned uh, because they, was, they they didn't have a plan to remove the prisoners uh, in their cells. So, I mean, this really goes to the heart of, of, of the fact that this society, this system is not set up to meet, you know, people's needs. Um, you, you had Cuban doctors and nurses who wanted to come here, uh, to provide their services because they, because in Cuba, whenever there's a hurricane or any type of disaster like that, they have it all planned out. They move people out so quickly to other islands or other cities. Mm-hmm. Um, they provide all those resources uh, for these type of emergencies. So, you know, but why not here? You know, we certainly have the resources. We, certainly, we have all those resources, but they're not, you know, um, they don't go into a planned response. Because if they can't make a profit out of it, <laughs> they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Look at the, look at what's happening in Flint. I mean, that's just outrageous that, you know, 9,000 children are dealing with lead poisoning and 100,000 people are dealing with, you know, poisoned water. And what's the plan? There's no plan. There was no, they, they knew this was going on for, you know, a number of years and nothing was done until it was all exposed, and now they're trying to figure out, you know, who's to blame for this, and who who are the culprits, and pointing fingers and so forth. And um, we certainly understand that somebody needs to help be held ac- accountable, but it really ultimately is the system that needs to be held ac- accountable um, for getting rid of all of the, you know, as you were talking about the safety nets that, you know, were in place at one time, but have been sort of slowly eroded away um, because of, you know, legislation and just, you know, just totally ignoring, you know, what's going on with human beings. Indeed, indeed. And wow, we summarize so much stuff, which I think for people who are familiar with Workers World Party, is a great thing. There are a ton of details about the Workers World Party and the Moorhead Lily presidential candidacy and all of that via workers.org. Um, there's plenty of news items, events. Oh, do you have any upcoming events? Um, well, yes, we do. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, but let me just say this too about our campaign because 
um our campaign you know we're, we're, when we when we run a campaign a presidential campaign you know and we've been running a several of them since 1980 you know we don't run to legitimize you know these elections we feel that these elections are bogus to begin with because there's really no difference between a democratic you know, Democrat running or Republican running. They both represent the same interest of Wall Street and the banks and the corporations. Putting aside someone like Bernie Sanders, who's running sort of an anti-Wall Street campaign, which is fine, it's progressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't feel it goes far enough, but, you know, we want to distinguish him, his campaign, from Hillary Clinton, um, who who is the darling of Wall Street, and then someone like Donald Trump, who probably feels he doesn't need Wall Street because he's already a billionaire to begin with. But um, but basically, we don't believe in these uh, these elections because they don't change anything fundamentally. You know, people run and they make all kinds of promises and and so forth, all to get you know one up on their opponent. But after the elections, nothing changes. What changes fundamentally? For the people. And we ask ourselves, why can't we, why can't people vote for what they need? Why can't, why can't we have people's referendums that puts, you know, um, health care is a right, a job is a right, education is a right. I bet, I bet you would get a, a huge turnout because it's, it's such voter, voter apathy in this country. And then there's a lot of people who are denied to vote, you know, uh, anyway, because they're too young, they're prisoners, they have a felony record, they're undocumented, um, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. So there's a low voter registration and a low voter turnout to begin with. And that's because people, you know, um, you know, they're sort of down about the elections because they don't see any difference. So our campaign is really a protest campaign. I just want to make people make sure people know that because we can't get on the ballot on all 50 states because we're denied the right because the the process is so undemocratic in this society to uh, for third party candidates like ourselves. Mm-hmm. We try to get on the ballot in certain states where it's easier, like in New Jersey, we're getting on the ballot and we can get on the ballot in New Jersey. Why? Because you only need 800 registered voters to get on the ballot in New Jersey. And there's other states that have similar, you know, uh, requirements. Mm -hmm. But for a state like New York or California or Florida, um, you know, what what we're planning to do is is write-in campaigns um, and also online petition campaigns. I just want to make sure your your listeners know that and, and look out for you know, the Moorhead Lily campaign in that, you know, um, as an alternative, either write in or online on Facebook, Twitter. We're going to use social media to really get the word out about our campaign because we're thinking about we're, we're thinking way beyond November. Mm-hmm. But with that said, we will be mobilizing for both the Republican National Convention, which is going to be held in Cleveland. This is the same Cleveland where Tamir Rice was gunned down. This 12-year-old black, you know, youth was gunned down um, last November. Uh, And his mother, interesting enough, his mother 
has come out publicly publicly to say that she's not endorsing any of the candidates, which is which is really a big deal, you know. And we we certainly support her right not to endorse anyone. But anyway, that's going to be held. That convention is going to be held the third week in uh, July, and also the week after that is the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. That's the last week in July, and we're going to be mobilizing for both of of those conventions. We will be in the streets with thousands of other other activists um, talking about the issues, exposing you know the um, the Democrats and Republicans, and um, and how we're going to move the, the struggle forward. So those are the big two two national uh, campaigns we're mobilizing for. All right, that is definitely great. And you touched base on something I was going to ask again, which makes me know that you are on point, which was, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, again, I'm very glad that you're here to interview with us and other people who, you know, want to discover other political philosophies and the third parties that are here in the United States and all. But I think there is a frustration of a lot of people because you'll see the same two people on TV or hear about them on the radio and stuff all the time. But Mm -hmm. And maybe every once in a while you might see another name on a ballot, but I think a lot of people don't know the process and how, I think, whatever philosophy that you're on, you could agree that it's not really democratic if you don't know about other parties that really exist. Right. If you had to go through a lot of rigmarole to see what's going on, like, I'm 37, I've never seen a third party presidential candidate on TV but once, and that's where I when I was a teenager, and that was actually a billionaire, ironically, with mm-hmm. um, Perot. Right. You don't mm-hmm. see the Green Party, you don't see Workers World, mm-hmm. you don't see mm-hmm. Socialist Party USA, you don't see American Communist Party, you don't see a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks just don't know the aspect of a lot of things aren't tipped to the balance. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is supposed to be, again, a democracy, and you have some countries that are later in democracy, and they have their own flaws and stuff. But you'll see a diverse group of parties out mm-hmm. there. And I think a lot of it is just because people don't know. They don't know. So, you know, thank you for helping people know a bit. And, oh, uh, sure. And let me just give you the uh, website again. Sure. Is workers, that's with an S, workers.org slash WWP slash. And then our number is 917-740-2628. That's our national hang, uh, campaign uh, office. All right, so y'all definitely um heard it here. The website is very detailed about a lot of things that are going on. Um, program how you can donate, right? And also how do that um you can join since again you know politics is personal and everything happens from the ground up. So you can do your work in your local communities and do other right. stuff as well. It's not a two year, four year, six year cycle that you like. I just got to go to a ballot. I can sit back and chill. You know what I mean? That's never been how progress has been made on any level. Right. Here in the That's United right. States. And especially for me, again, being a black American woman, it's like, yeah, we never got anything by sitting back. That's right. And You've never like, won- That's be, right. be nice to us, please. You know? <laughs> so. what, did, what did Frederick Douglass say? Without struggle, there's no progress. And there we go. And I think that is a perfect closing to everything. Okay. Now, for all of our wonderful listeners, you can always check out this show as well as others via our official website which is fuseboxradio.com you can also check us out at fuseboxradioonline.com they all route to the same page that's f-u-s-e-b-o-x r-a-d-i-o dot com you can access this archive 
via all your favorite podcast means, whether it's via iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Audio Search, and plenty, plenty more, whichever is your most favorite site to use. This show will also be archived on our official blog site, blackradioisback.com, where we'll have links to all the sites we've been talking about and our show notes in terms of this particular show. And um, as we always say, you don't got to love or agree with everything that we say or that our, the folks we talk to or whatever say, but if it gets you to research something and sparks your mind and gets you into conversation, other stuff above and beyond the everyday norm, we've done a job as dope independent media and quality um, black media. So we hope that this interview was definitely a part of that. And during this insane election cycle that we got going on in 2016, that um, you can look above and beyond the um, binary that is always pushed out to us. End of the day, make your own decision to do all that type of good stuff, but know that other things and other options do exist and all of that. And if that's what you're feeling, there is nothing wrong with going in that direction. All votes need to be earned. So, you know, don't go to that ballot box and be there like, damn, you know, what's better, diarrhea or constipation? We don't want to do <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. that's that type of thing. Again, part of the craftness. But it's, mm-hmm. you look at this news cycle sometimes. It's like, oh, my God, really? Have things really progressed since my mom was a kid? But, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So, yeah, and it's important to vote for what you want yes. and not what you don't want. Not the lesser evil. Yeah. Exactly. And even when you look at, you know, the quote-unquote major political parties, certain changes they've made were because of the actions of various civil rights organizations and third political parties. Mm-hmm. So if you see a lot of people who are just there like, yo, I'm really about A, B, C, D, or E, you know, there's kind of a follow-the-leader thing. Mm-hmm. Folks, and, right. you know, we all got to be our own leader. That's so, right. Absolutely. <clears throat> excuse me. So good. Definitely. Thank you very much, Ms. Moore. Thank you for having me. It was very thought provoking, and I really appreciate, you know, having this um, interaction with you. No problem, man. Thanks a lot. And for our listeners, we're going to get back into the mix of a whole bunch of um, great stuff and what have you on the music and talking commentary. This is the Fusebox Radio broadcast, bringing the balance back to black radio since 1998. And we're going to keep it moving. All right. Peace. You can listen to the Fusebox radio broadcast via iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Podcast Addict, and your other favorite podcast players. Check out the Fusebox radio's official website for our latest episodes, events, and more at FuseboxRadioOnline.com. You can also visit us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fusebox Radio Show, Twitter at Twitter.com slash Fusebox Radio, and Instagram at Instagram.com slash Fusebox Radio. Feel free to contact us at FuseboxRadio at gmail.com to submit music for airplay consideration, 